0: Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in Your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. We ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We all know that if you belong to Jesus Christ, that your soul belongs to God. But God wants your body as well. Listen again to Romans 12, verse one that Tim just read. Paul says, "I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice." This simply means that God wants your whole self. He wants your soul. He wants your body. He wants your desires. He wants your family. He wants your finances. He wants you. You'll notice a different tone here in Romans chapter 12 from the tone that we've heard earlier in the book of Romans. That's because Romans 12 begins a major transition. From now on, Paul's going to take up Um, a number of practical issues in the Christian life. And so he's going to begin naturally with our commitment to God. So before he uh, seeks our obedience um, later in Romans 12 regarding our service in the church, or before he seeks our obedience in abstaining from seeking revenge, Also in Romans chapter 12, Paul is first going to seek our full commitment to God. And the major thrust, therefore, of this sermon is that you renew and that you deepen your commitment to God. Now in saying that, God doesn't simply say, hey, you Christians, deepen your commitment to God. That's not what He says. Rather, He wants us to dwell on His mercies. Uh, He wants us to dwell on all His mercies to us. And as we do that, then we will be filled um, and renewed uh, as we closely examine the many facets of grace. We'll be filled with the renewed love as we dwell on the depths of His mercy toward us. And then as we dwell on His mercies, and as we're renewed in our love for Him, then our commitment to Him will naturally grow as a result. God will grow and deepen our commitment to Him as we dwell upon Him. So the basis for our commitment to God is not simply Him commanding us to do so, but the basis for our commitment to God is the mercies of God to us. So look again at verse 1. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. As we look here at verse 1, uh, and he says that we are to, he appeals to us by the mercies of God, it might occur to us to ask, well, what mercies? where are we to look to see the mercies of God. You know, this is a this is a big book. My my uh my copy of the scriptures has it 1200 pages. And well, my eyes have changed a little bit. So I've got the larger print. Um but still it's fairly sh- small print compared to uh you know, in big pages. There's a, in other words, there's a lot of words here. So how where are we going to focus in to see the mercies of God. Well, he says here again in verse 1, I have... Therefore, brothers... So he has this word, therefore. And the question is, what is the therefore? Therefore. Well, the therefore connects us with chapter 11. He connects chapter 12 with chapter 11. It's a major... um, New section in chapter twelve, but it's not disconnected from verse eleven. In other words, the mercies of God that he wants us to look at, the mercies of God that he wants to be uh the the basis and the foundation and the motivation for our commitment to God is found earlier in the book of Romans. In fact, I think it's uh the chapters one through eleven. Uh Spell out for us the uh, mercies of God that He wants us to consider as we as He calls us to uh, commit ourselves to Him. So, what do we have in the first eleven chapters of Romans? Well, first of all, in chapters one through three, we learned that we have all, every one of us, hopelessly have sinned against God. We rejected God as our Creator in favor of created things. Who among us hasn't chosen the uh, perverted Trinity of me, myself, and I ahead of the true Creator? So we have hopelessly sinned, Uh, we have rebelled against Him. And truth be told, even as Christians, we still choose ourselves over God many times each day. But we also learned, beginning in chapter 3, that God so loved us that in spite of ourselves, He sent His only Son into our world. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to go to that awful cross and to become sin in our place, to be our substitute, and stand in our place and suffer the wrath of God that we deserved to suffer under. He received the wrath of God that we deserved to receive. And then God did not stop there, He also raised Jesus Christ from the dead for our justification. Our God. Has been merciful to us sinners. And God didn't stop there. We also learned in chapter 6 through 8 that God didn't just forgive us, but He loves us so much that He's changing us. He's changed us and is continuing to change us. He's making us to be more like Jesus Christ. I love Romans 8. might be fulfilled in us. In other words, it is through the Gospel that we are set free from our sin, from our slavery to sin. And we are set free to obey God and His Spirit working in us moves us and empowers us to actually fulfill the righteous requirements of God's law as we obey Him. God has been merciful to us sinners. And our growth in Christ is as much a gift of God's mercy as is our salvation from our sins. But then God didn't stop there because He knows that we are prone as sinful human beings to think that we deserved His salvation or that we were somehow worthy or more worthy than other people to receive His salvation. But in reality, we are unworthy recipients of God's free grace. And that's the message of Romans uh, chapter 9 through 11. Uh, As it applies to us, us Gentiles, God is saying that he has been merciful, that he has been gracious when we deserve no mercy. And then Paul concludes in Romans 11 after considering this staggering pattern of God's mercy for us sinners. And he can't contain himself. In verses 33 through 36, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments! And how inscrutable are His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He should be repaid for from Him and to Him and through Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. And that's how he concludes Romans 12. And those are his last words before he penned... Uh, I'm sorry, that's how he concludes Romans 11. And those were his his last thoughts before he penned uh, the beginning of Romans 12. So it's little wonder that Paul, after helping us see God's mercies toward us, calls us now to commit ourselves to God in view of His mercies. And really, if God loves you, as much as Romans chapter 11, or Romans chapter 1 through 11 says he loves you, why would you not commit yourself to him? Isaac once captured the logic of uh, Paul here in Romans chapter 12 verse 1 when he wrote, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Um, verse 1 of that hymn says, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride so here is Isaac Watts surveying the wondrous cross surveying looking intently upon the scriptures as the scriptures talk about Christ going so willingly so freely um to go to the cross and die there upon it. And then he, he says, See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ere such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? And his conclusion is were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small love so amazing so so divine demands my soul my life my Isaac Watts looked upon the mercies of God to him in Jesus Christ and all he could do was think about giving his his life, his soul, his all to God, his Redeemer. And that's the logic here that Paul is using as he, as he makes his appeal to us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. You know, there's nothing more important for building our commitment to God than an increasing understanding of the, of the greatness of God and His mercies to us. You know, it's very common for Christians to feel frustrated about their spiritual walk with God. And we often struggle with even the simplest forms of obedience. And we feel sometimes more defeat in our Christian life than victory. But Paul here in Romans twelve one and 2 has given us the way forward. He's saying dwell on God's mercies to you and God Himself will pull you forward. Now, I want to give you a couple of words of caution. If you only dwell on God's mercy in a selfish manner, you will not benefit from God's mercies. Because it is possible for a Christian to come to God and always being, say, being saying to God, give me, give me, give me. You know, I want happiness. I want peace. I want assurance that nothing bad is going to happen to me or any of the people I love. I want God to fulfill all my needs. And we're looking to God, but it's quite selfish. God will not bless that kind of pursuit of Him. And there's another way that that we look to God that God will not bless. If you only look to God or rather only look to fear as the motivation for your obedience and commitment to God, God's not going to bless that that kind of pursuit of him. Uh, there are many Christians who see God as the get you God, and the get you God uh, is just waiting to get them the moment they get out of line, and this fear-based motivation. It can be quite powerful in the short term. People make some pretty remarkable commitments because they are motivated by fear. You know that's why churches that use an altar call and say the only way you can get saved is is by walking the aisle. Why those churches typically um, preach a lot about fire and brimstone because they're using the emotion of fear as the motivation. But as an emotion, fear is very draining and it loses its motivating power over time. Love for God is the only motive that lasts. And it's the only motive for commitment that God accepts. Commitment to God uh, that is an expression of love for Him. That is the kind of motivation The kind of commitment that Paul says in verse 1 is holy and pleasing to him. So notice how God calls us to respond to mercies. Let's say you're seeing the mercies of God, you've grasped them, you understand. So then, what should be your response? Again, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Instead of focusing on what we will receive from God, our response to God's mercy should be what we can give to God. And that's the natural response of love. The response of love causes our eyes to turn away from ourselves to look upon and be completely concerned with the object of our love. In this case, the object of our love is God. But I think the same goes, the same principle applies to the love between human beings. A husband's love for his wife looks outside himself to his wife. A parent's love for the child looks outside themselves to the child. A child's love for parents looks outside themselves and looks to the parents. So I hope it's clear that love for God and living in all of His mercies to us is the only springboard for healthy Christian growth. I want you to look closely at the language of verse 1. It's the language of Old Testament sacrifices. Who here wants to be a sacrifice? Most of the sacrifices offered in the Old Testament were offered as sin offerings, but Jesus, of course, was the only true sin offering. So we can be perfectly sure that Paul does not have sacrifices for sin in mind here in verse one in Romans twelve one. But there's another kind of uh, another type of, of sacrifice described in the Old Testament. And that was a whole burnt offering. And this whole burnt offering represented the worshiper's wholehearted commitment uh, to God. To be acceptable to God, the whole burnt offering had to be one of the more valuable animals from your flock. If you had a weak and sickly goat or, or a, a cow that was maimed, well that would be unacceptable God would not allow you to offer a weak and sickly animal um, as a whole burnt offering uh, it had to be um, it had to be healthy it had to be the best of your flock it had to be uh free from any blemishes in other words God would not accept their leftovers he would not uh he would not except their second best. It had to be an animal that was without defect of any kind. And none of the animal could be set aside and eaten by the priest. Um, it had to be completely burned up on the altar to represent the worshippers' complete consecration and complete commitment to God. So Romans 12.1 is calling us to offer up ourselves to God in the same manner. Of course, we're not to kill ourselves. That's not what it's saying. But with the idea of the whole burnt offering in mind, let me ask you to examine yourself. Let me call you to examine yourself. Examine your life before God. Is your commitment to God wholehearted in your practice as well as in your desires? Do you give God the best of yourself or do you only give Him the leftovers? Is it important to you to seek to give God your lifestyle without the blemishes? Or is it acceptable to you to give God your devotion while also being devoted to your sins? I want to illustrate, if I can, what a living sacrifice looks like. Abraham was a good example of a living sacrifice. When God told Abraham in Genesis 22 to sacrifice his son Isaac, Abraham immediately obeyed. He trusted in God. He loved God. And that motivated him then to immediately... Uh, obey this command to sacrifice his son his one and only son his his son that was the child of the promise and as abraham had tied up his son laid his son on the makeshift altar and raised the knife to slay his only son god stopped him but god i'm sorry abraham is a great example of a living sacrifice because he was willing to give up all that was dear to him in order to obey God. So I ask you, are you a living sacrifice? In Luke 9, verses 23 and 24, Jesus tells us what it means to be a living sacrifice. Verse 23, And Jesus said to all, that He was speaking to. All that had gathered round to hear Him. If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. Daily. There are no days off in being a living sacrifice. And He goes on, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for My sake will save it if we're going to be a willing, a living sacrifice, we are going to be willing to sacrifice the things that are dear to us but are displeasing to God. You cannot be a living sacrifice without sacrificing. The last little phrase here in um, verse 1, he says, um, "...which is your spiritual worship..." The uh, the word here is better translated your reasonable worship. It's the word for logic, your logical service. Uh, I understand why they would um, would translate it spiritual worship, but it's, 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 it's um, the word for logic. In other words, um, your living as a as a living sacrifice is consistent with your embrace of the mercies of God. I think is what Paul is saying here. You you love God, you've embraced his his love. You understand that he has embraced you and that he sent his only son Jesus Christ to be your savior. The the only rational logical response would be that you would um that you would present your body as a living sacrifice. I want to uh, move real quickly toward the conclusion and just look at verse 2, and I don't want to look at all of verse 2. I'll read all of verse 2. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that is His good and acceptable and perfect will. I think verse 2 is parallel to verse 1. It it tells us a little bit more about how uh, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. But I really want to conclude in verse 2 with doing a quick word study of the word transformed here in verse 2. He says, "...do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed." The word, the the Greek word for transformed is uh, metamorphosithae. And do you recognize the word metamorphos in that uh, Greek word? That's where we get the word uh, for metamorphos. It means uh, something's being transformed. And what's important for us to understand as we do this little abbreviated word study is the voice and tense of this word. It's in the the passive imperative voice, and imperative is another word for command. But it's in the it's a, a passive voice. It's a command for us as well. So God is commanding us to be transformed but it's in the passive voice. Something in the a verb in the passive voice, the action is not done by the subject of the verb, but rather the subject is being acted upon, is being passive, It's not being active. And so the actor here, the one who is doing the acting, is the one who is transforming, is, is the one who is, who is committing active act of transformation. And that's not us. We are simply passive in the transformational process, according to this 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 verse. It is the Holy Spirit who is doing the transforming work. And in terms of the tense, it is in the present tense. That means it is a um, we are commanded to be transformed uh, continually. It's not a, a, a one-off deal. It's not that you make a commitment, maybe a highly emotional commitment one time and then forget about it. No. It's the sense is you've got to keep on keeping on being transformed. But it's God who's doing the transform, transforming, but we are responsible to be transformed. I grew up out in the country. I've told you before. We had 12 acres of land. We had on about an acre and a half of that land, we had a little pond. Uh, We had maybe two acres or or so of woods that my little brother and I played out in the woods and um, and were uh, food for many a tick as we were growing up. But the rest of our property was grass. And Saturdays, my dad would tell me, go get on the bush hog and cut the grass. Well, Saturdays at noon, and you couldn't get the grass cut before noon, all that grass we had to cut. But at noon, college football came on in the fall. And so the very moment that my dad wasn't watching, I'd park the the bush hog over behind some trees and go inside and try and watch a little football. Of course, my dad would always invariably find me. And he would say, you've got to keep on keeping on. And that's the sense of this verb. You've got to keep on keeping on being transformed. But the transformation is not something that you bring into effect. Your responsibility is to dwell on the mercies of God. And in dwelling on the mercies of God, you present yourself as a living sacrifice to God. And the Holy Spirit is doing the transformation. That's how this verb works. That's how this passage works. It is God who is bringing about the confirmation, uh, the transformation. In other words, your sanctification, your growth in grace is God's work. You know, I was thinking about... Um, I had a a um a final conclusion to this sermon and uh, a another conclusion presented itself before me and I kept saying no I'm not using this as the, the conclusion no way and the more I said no way the more I felt like God was saying no you need to do this in order to really make clear what this trans or, or what Paul is saying here offer Present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God. So it is with much reticence and humility that I um, use this final conclusion in order to to in flesh, if, if you will give you a picture of what it means to be a living sacrifice, or rather what it does not mean uh, to be a living sacrifice. Yesterday morning I had to be in Lakeland at 5:30 uh, in the morning and I left a little late because then there was a a, 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 a cross country meet that I had to to um help with the parking and so I look at my uh GPS on my phone and it says I'm going to be there 5 minutes late well I don't want to be 5 minutes late that makes me look bad I'm only thinking about myself so I'm zipping down uh from from my house to Lakeland And uh, one of the members of our church who was volunteering said, Pastor, you've got a bit of a lead foot. You passed me like I was standing still. (laughs) And I thought, yeah. And, um, you know, being concerned about me. And here's my thought pattern. As I'm, you know, it is 5 in the morning I'm already out in, you know, State Road 60 past uh, any congestion. There's no red lights, you know, open roads. Uh, I can make up this time. There is no time that you are not to be a living sacrifice, whether it be 5 in the morning or whether it be 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. We are to die to ourselves in order that we might be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is the logical uh, response of a person who has understands and loves the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, by the mercies of God, I urge you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, I ask that You would help us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, which is another way of saying that we are to present our whole selves, our desires, our dreams, our wishes, our money, everything, before You. Lord, in the little things as well as in the big things. In the mundane times as, as well as in the, the special and important times. Lord, whether we're down in the valley or on the mountaintop or somewhere in between, Father, help us to take up our cross daily and follow You. Help us to deny ourselves daily Help us to die to ourselves in order that we might live as a living sacrifice for our Lord Jesus Christ. Here we are, Lord. As Isaiah said, here I am, use me. Lord, here we are. Use us for Your service, Your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.